0: Every time my phone buzzed with an email notification, I just cringe, just thinking like, what is she doing now? What is she saying now?
1: After experiencing cyberbullying as an adult, Ruth Carter wants to share that experience to help others going through the same thing. Ruth is our guest on this episode of Win This Year
0: drugs and alcohol, bullying, unhealthy relationships, depression, internet safety, substance use, body image, self-injury, suicide, anxiety, social media, kids, pre-teens, parenting, middle school, high school, Adolescents.
1: teens, coping skills,
0: self-care, relationships, strategies, life skills,
1: prevention, solutions, help, hope, leadership, insight, information, inspiration. You're listening to Win This Year. The official podcast of Not My Kid, a prevention nonprofit focused on inspiring positive life choices by helping kids, parents, families, and those who work with youth. Informative, interesting, inspiring. Win This Year. Welcome to Win This Year. I'm Shane Watson, public information officer and prevention specialist for Not My Kid. October is National Bullying Prevention Month, an annual campaign started in 2006 and designed to raise awareness of bullying prevention. Our guest today, Ruth Carter, will be speaking on bullying and more specifically cyberbullying from the perspective of someone who experienced it personally and also from the perspective of a legal professional who works in social media law. Win this year is brought to you by First Check. First Check Home Drug Tests help you protect loved ones from the risks of drug abuse. First Check is the number one pharmacist-recommended brand. It detects up to 14 illicit and prescription drugs and provides over 99% accurate, easy-to-read results in just five minutes, all in the privacy of your home. Go to firstcheckfamily.com and use code WINTHISYEAR to save on your order. In order to fully understand the impact of cyberbullying, it's important to understand four very specific criteria that set it apart and make it particularly concerning. And we call them the four A's of cyberbullying. Audience, access, anonymity, and awareness. As far as the audience goes, back in the day, if a kid was being bullied at school, it may take place in front of a couple dozen of their peers. That's bad enough. That's concerning enough. However... Cyberbullying can take place in front of an audience of millions. When something occurs online, if an embarrassing picture is shared or an embarrassing video or someone is saying something hateful about someone else, that can take place in front of an audience of literally millions of people. So the audience is bigger. As far as access goes, years ago if a child was being bullied at school, they could come home and their home could be their safe place. They could get an escape for a while. Now, because of so much of young people's lives taking place through social media, an aggressor can harass the targeted person 24-7. A child can be cyberbullied, sitting on their device at their own kitchen table, in their own bedroom. And so there can be no escape from this. The third A is anonymity. Years ago, if someone wanted to bully somebody else, they had to do it in person. They had to put their name and their face behind the aggression. They had to own up to the fact that they were the one doing it. Now someone can create a pseudonym account on various social media platforms or apps. They can harass someone. They can cyberbully someone and remain completely anonymous, and therefore there's no accountability for their actions. And the fourth A is awareness, and you'll hear Ruth and I discuss this when we have our conversation here in a little bit. Cyberbullying can occur on apps and websites and platforms that parents aren't even aware of. Many parents aren't even aware of all of the social media sites or apps that their child is on. It can be difficult to intervene in bullying in a place that we don't even know exists. So those four A's of cyberbullying set it apart from traditional schoolyard bullying and make it particularly concerning. Known for their daring antics and outgoing personality, Ruth Carter is an Arizona attorney and an authority on internet law and intellectual property. They also wrote three best-selling books on guerrilla marketing and social media law, including The Legal Side of Blogging, How Not to Get Sued, Fired, Arrested, or Killed. Ruth has been a speaker at over 100 events, including Content Marketing World and South by Southwest, and featured in The Wall Street Journal, Entrepreneur, and on NPR. Ruth, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thank you for sharing your time with us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: When I learned about your story, I knew that we had to have you on the podcast because you have a really unique perspective on our topic, which is cyberbullying. One of your perspectives on this topic is the fact that you are a legal professional and that you practice, among other areas, social media law. What got you not only into law, but off in that direction specifically?
0: So... The reason why I went to law school was because I didn't want to be a mental health professional anymore. I liked being in a role where I got to help people, but being a therapist wasn't it. So, law school seemed to be a way to continue to be a helping professional in a different way. How I got into social media law was I got into blogging as a law student and I had to learn how much can I say before I get into trouble. So, I started educating myself, taking classes on cyberspace law, copyright, other intellectual property, and it just developed organically that if I had these issues I had to be mindful of, so does everybody else online. And so that's how it became part of my practice.
1: And you talking about how much can I say, what can I say while I'm blogging uh, leads me to this, and I wanna read this to make sure I get this correct. You've authored a book, and I love this title. The title is The Legal Side of Blogging, How Not to Get Sued, Fired, Arrested, or Killed, which actually includes topics related to cyberbullying prevention. What was your motivation? I mean, obviously, based on the title, it's partially obvious what your motivation was. What were you hoping to accomplish by releasing that book?
0: I wanted to create a book that answered the most common questions and make it accessible and affordable to everybody. So I wrote it in layman's terms. It's like $4.99, and I wanted it to be a go-to source for everyday people to understand the major do's and don'ts about internet law.
1: Thank you so much for writing it in layman's terms, by the way, because that's something for me... If I see something, and I know a lot of people feel this way. If it's written in legalese, it feels like I kind of understand this, but I don't fully understand this. And in order for somebody to be able to apply that to their life, it has to be in the public vernacular. So thank you for, number one, making it affordable, and number two, for writing it in a language that people like me can actually understand.
0: Exactly. It would serve no purpose if a Joe Average person couldn't understand it.
1: That's like me trying to decipher medical journals when we're doing our study as prevention specialists. And I'm, I'm getting better. I'm starting to understand more and more of it. But some of that, it's like it's just so far beyond your other perspective. Um, and this is really what I want to talk to you about today, although we, we absolutely want to include your the legal end of it, because that's crucial as well. Your other perspective on the topic of bullying and cyberbullying is the fact that you were cyberbullied yourself. How did that begin? How did that start?
0: It started when I was a second-year law student, and I was the uh, one of the executives in a student club, and there was another executive, there were three of us, um, who were the execs. So one of the other execs was not happy with a decision that I had made, and it seemed like she could not let this issue go. Uh, the issue was I was invited to an event, and it was extended to me personally and she thought it should have gone to, like, the club. It's like, um, no, that's not how the invite came in. It was for me personally, and if you don't like it because you weren't as vocal and out front of the club, that's not my issue. That's yours. Uh, so I, this person would not let it go, and every time my phone buzzed with an email notification, I just cringe, just thinking, like, what is she doing now? What is she saying now? And thankfully, I was only had to go through this situation for a couple of months, but it got to the point where she seemed really angry, really impulsive, um, that I was nervous. I was scared to go to school because- As an adult, As an adult, I was 30 years old, afraid to go to school. Um, I would wear only jeans and t-shirts to school because I was sweating so much with anxiety that I didn't want to, um, stain my professional clothes and I would bring a spare shirt and change at lunchtime because by lunchtime, my first shirt was soaked. Wow. So, um, yeah, so that was, uh, the situation and thankfully I was able to reach out to friends of mine who were mentors. So every time she sent me an email, I immediately forwarded it to them saying, what do I do now? How should I respond to this? Um, I ended up having to go through the school to say, like, this is completely inappropriate and everything I've done to try to get her to stop has not worked. And I always tried to be thoughtful, solution focused, with the goal being, like, stop, leave me alone. I ended up quitting the club because at that by that point, the execs weren't worth working with. So I was like, hey if you're not worth working with, I'm not going to work with you. Mm-hmm. And so I left. And, it, it, yeah, I ended up going through um, the college, the law school, saying I've tried everything I could help. Um, the um, head of the club got involved. That didn't do, make a difference. We ended up having to get the assistant dean of the law school involved Wow. Okay. Yeah, and it was toward the end of finals, and he decided, well, he and I decided together, probably the best move would be to wait until her finals were over and then meet with her to say, like you know, and address her, you know, inappropriate behavior. And she um, was rumored to be out of town, so she, he could only meet with her by phone. She was completely unreceptive to the message of you're – this is inappropriate. You need to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for safety, because because we couldn't, we couldn't confirm that she was out of state at that point, uh, I still had one final to go, and the schedule for um, where and when each final is taking place is public. We decided for safety, just in case she decided to go from being verbally impulsive to physically impulsive, that I would take my last final in an undisclosed location.
1: So you actually had to move to a different room or a different building or something when you had done nothing wrong. And that's something I want to back up to for parents or educators or anyone who works with youth who listens to this. I want to back up to the source of where all this began. You didn't do anything. You received an invitation to an event. You didn't generate that invitation. You did nothing. And this started because I still meet... Um, Some people who are under the impression that if a person is going through bullying, whether it's an adult or it's a child, well, you have to have done something. Nobody would do this if you had done nothing. That's what bullying is. It is unprovoked, intentionally aggressive behavior that, as you mentioned also in your story, continues over time. There's a repetition of the behavior. You mentioned email. What all platforms or methods of communication did her harassment occur through? Because I want, that's another thing I want adults listening to this to be aware of how widespread this can become.
0: I got lucky. It was mostly email and the only other person who I think was ever included on those emails was the other executive of the club. Um, She did a post once to Facebook and... I
1: read that in your blog and... Calling it harsh would be putting it lightly. It includes language that we can't have on the podcast. That is intense. Uh, By the way, Ruth wrote a four-part blog on this topic. We will put the links to that in the show notes so you can see the full length of the story. Anyway, go back. I'm pardoning me for interrupting you. It extended through email and then eventually to
0: Facebook. Yep, it went to Facebook. Um, I got a screenshot of it when she posted that. Um, I think shortly after it was posted, Either she thought better of her behavior or someone reached out to her and said, you can't do that. So it did get deleted, Um, thankfully. But uh, so, yeah, I got lucky that I only one time went out into the public realm once. And beyond otherwise, it stayed uh, mostly email.
1: But you saw this. You were, I mean, obviously, because in your blog, you have the exact phrase that was used about you. How did that feel to read that? How did this feel to go through this entire experience? What adjectives would you use to describe the feeling?
0: It was shocking. And she had actually sent me the exact same phrase, the same sentence through email before. Uh, so it wasn't the first time I had heard her use the C word in relationship wow. to me. And, and I thought, I just when I first time read that I was like, are you serious? It was intense. It was intense. Like, I, I, I get you're angry, but there's just certain words you don't use. Um, and then when it went out on Facebook, I I was pretty incredulous. I just thought, like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, taking myself out of the equation, it's just like, what are you doing? Uh, and it really just showed that this person was not thinking through their behavior before they put fingers to keyboard.
1: And that's something that I'm glad that you you recognized. And you also talked about that too. One thing that stands out to me on, in your blog entries on the situation is your level of self-awareness in dealing with the situation. I really appreciate one particular quote from you on your approach. And I, and I want those listening to really hear this. And this is verbatim. This is a quote from your blog. Every time I got an email from my bully, I forwarded it to these four, the people that were supporting you that were, you're trying to get help from. After her first email... I never sent a response without giving myself several hours to let my emotional response subside and to formulate the best response based on the goal of getting the harassment to end. I cannot emphasize enough to parents, educators, guardians, I understand, I understand and I can empathize with the desire to to fire back, to say something, to reply, to respond, however, What that tends to do is aggravate and progress the situation in a really uncomfortable way. It's frustrating to not be able to say something right back, but the approach that you used is so wise. Parents, if your child is going through this, please emphasize to them to not respond or reply or react emotionally. Now that's different. Than telling a kid, just ignore it and it'll go away. We don't want to say that because until it is addressed, it tends to not go away. But this is saying, don't feed back into it and escalate the situation.
0: Exactly. That actually comes from a lesson that I learned myself when I was, I think I was 15 and my childhood mentor taught me anger robs thought. So, and that's still a lesson I use all the time. So if I'm angry, that is not, a time for me to be formulating or acting on any plans. So a, a lesson, I, strategy I've used for myself and recommended to clients back when I was in the mental health field is the 24-hour rule where you know, let it sit for 24 hours. If you want to write a draft and come back to it in 24 hours and see like, is this really the, the how I want to respond? Fine, but don't react publicly to that person uh, until that emotion has subsided a bit.
1: And sometimes the draft can be an emotional release as well. It's like people telling you, write that angry letter, put it in a drawer, don't send it. Sometimes it's just getting it out. But like you said, hold on for at least 24 hours. I even made a humor video a number of years ago about a quote-unquote new invention I had created called the Social Networking Debate Avoider. It's an egg timer in the video. And it's basically like, you know, are you tired of getting into arguments on the internet? Well, we have this amazing life-changing product and it's an egg timer. And it was a humor video, but I was poking fun at myself because like you said, it's a work in progress. It's an ongoing lesson that we learn even as adults where I've had to catch myself, and I've gotten good in recent years about not getting into it online with people, but there is that temptation, even as adults with fully developed brains, with fully developed prefrontal cortexes, to do that. How much so in a preteen or teen whose portion of the brain that controls impulsive behavior isn't even online yet?
0: Yeah, I've, that's gotta be hard when you, just, you don't have that ability to control your impulses as much Which I think is why it's important to have people in your life you can talk to so that whenever you think you have a really good idea, you run it past another person.
1: Some of the best things I've ever been told in my life have been, no, don't do that. That's not a good idea. Some of the people who love me the most have been the ones who care about me enough to say, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't send that. That's another good thing. And we tell kids this constantly to have a healthy support network in their phone, 80, 90, 100, as many phone numbers as they can get. Not people that are going to tell them everything they want to hear, but the people who care about them enough to say, no, don't smoke that, don't drink that, don't say that, don't post that. And even as an adult, we need those people in our lives. And that's just, I mean, that's such a crucial message. It, you know, there's the cliche, it takes a village, but it's a cliche for a reason. I mean, it works.
0: Yeah, it exactly, it does. And I think, the, the saying that goes along with that is dance like nobody's watching text as if it's going to be read at your deposition.
1: That is um, the text as if it's going to be read at your deposition. In our internet safety presentations, we explain don't ever send anyone a text, a picture, or a video that you wouldn't be comfortable with the entire world seeing. Because that's the reality of it. even if it's on Snapchat, we're trying to emphasize to kids or end parents. Just because the timer expires doesn't mean that that thing is going away. And we live in this world where we think technology is going to keep us safe. it often it often doesn't,
0: oh, no. And I get messages on a weekly basis from people who have, generally sent a photo to somebody and now there are regrets and the person's maybe threatening to post it or has posted it and they're coming to me saying, what do I do? Uh, So it isn't an uncommon question. Um, What I think I tell people is don't put anything online that you wouldn't put on the front page of the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And my other rule of thumb is assume everything you post or send is going to be seen by four people, your best friend, your worst enemy, your boss, or for teenagers, your your favorite teacher, and your mother. If you don't want one of them seeing what you're thinking about sending or posting, don't do it.
1: And that's the reality of it. And then once there's that digital footprint too, there's a chance that it's never going to go away. The permanency of that is something that I think is lost on a lot of students as well that we're constantly trying to drive home. Where did this end for you? You know, we talked about this progression and where it moved to, and it got to the point where you're wearing, you know, informal clothes and you're changing your clothes and you're taking your final in a separate, undisclosed location. How did this finally come to an end for you?
0: I was lucky that the end of the semester caused a natural break. So uh, everything simmered down over the summer. I did report the student to the Office of Rights and Responsibilities for the violation because um, the student had used the ASU email system, so to send harassing emails uh, is against the rules. I was disappointed when they said, watch this person, if they continue to do it, then we'll take action, but for now, we'll just keep their name on file as a potential problematic person, which I thought was insufficient, but that wasn't my decision to make. Thankfully, um, my bully only had one more semester of law school, so uh, we didn't have any more classes together. If we did, I would have gone to, uh, back to my assistant dean and basically said, you need to make her change. Um, but thankfully, that didn't happen. We've had no interaction since then, and she seems to have dropped it.
1: And that's no student, whether adult or child, should feel unsafe at school. School should be one of those safe places. And you know, it's sad that it went to that degree before you got the help that you needed, before it was addressed at least partially sufficiently. I mean, it's such a helpless feeling to go through that and then to not be getting the support you need kind of exacerbates that, kind of makes that situation worse. What would you emphasize? What are the most important messages you would want to convey if there is a parent listening to this or a guardian or a grandparent whose child or grandchild or somebody they're working with is going through cyberbullying, what are the most important steps that they should take and what do you advise they not do?
0: So, you know, for starters, um, I hope no child ever has to go through one of these situations alone. I I remember how hard it was for me when I'm someone who has mental health training and I had four amazing supportive people with experience to draw from to help me so if that's what i needed as a 30 year old i can't imagine how much more like a 10 year old or a 14 year old would need so that's important have support around the um the person being targeted um stay educated about do's don'ts what people are allowed to do uh, what resources are available to help you keep a record of everything so um The emails, the text messages, anything posted online, take screenshots of it, um, and ask for help. Um, Whether that's through school, law enforcement, uh, resources like you know, not my kid. Um, I even at one point reached out to a professional uh, security company, like they're they do um, bodyguards, and they also assess. Um, security situations for potential danger. So um, I just reached out to them just to get their feeling on my situation. But there are like those companies that like that is their job is to like keep you alive. Um, So they do exist. So I would say, yeah, don't don't go it alone.
1: The fact that you reached out to a security company shows how terrifying this situation is like that speaks volumes by itself. And as we've emphasized several times, as a grown adult, as a 30-year-old, who had the self-identity and self-confidence that we tend to gain during the adult years, how much more so for a 15-year-old, a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, etc. I mean, that's terrifying. I went through bullying in junior high school, pre-internet, thank God the internet did not exist at the time. My middle school and high school years were difficult enough. And I remember how torn down I felt. I mean, it got to the point where I was begging my parents to not have to go to school. I was faking illnesses or injuries, and then eventually getting so stressed out, starting to get genuinely sick from it. And finally, in seventh grade, one of the two reasons why I eventually tried alcohol, which took me down a 20-year path, was to try to escape from it. And the first time I drank, I unfortunately, I thought, oh, I found the solution here. But I didn't realize I just had to open an even bigger door. The level of powerlessness is unbelievable. Parents, if your child is going through this, if they tell you they're going through this, believe them. Please believe them. Because one of the most frustrating things is to be going through this and and not be believed. What do you advise? We had a really good list that you gave us. And by the way, we'll include down in the show notes a link to the blog that you wrote for us a number of years ago. I think it was 2013. It was a while back, but it still, it stands up today. The rules, the guidelines are still absolutely valid today. Let's move to... What should they not do? Now, we already hit on one really good thing earlier with a quote from your book, or the quote from your blog, what not to do, don't reply in an emotional manner. Beyond that, is there anything else you would recommend that parents trying to help their child going through this not do?
0: I would, whenever possible, cut off access to your child from the bully. So on these various apps, you can get them blocked. and there may be times to have the discussion with your child. Maybe there are certain apps you're just not going to use for, for now. Not We're not saying forever, just for now, and see if that helps. Um, there are ways to have, I know every app says you can't do this, but um, create a fake account so that way people, if they look up your name, you won't pop up, but you can still be active in your own way. I've, I've had friends do that. I understand why people do that. Um, And for parents, if your child is on an app, you should at least have familiarity with it. You don't have to be as active as they are, but you should know enough about it that you know how it works, how people interact, who can interact with your kids. And at any point in time, you should be able to put out your hand, take your kid's phone, have the password, and just see what's going on, looking at what your child is putting out into the world, and also who is having contact with your child.
1: Not only in terms of cyberbullying, but in terms of potential predators as well, and that's something that we've worked with officers from Scottsdale PD, a former FBI agent. The stories that I've heard absolutely turn my stomach. I mean, the stuff that that occurs, and parents always, unfortunately, some parents use that, well, not my kid mentality. And I've had parents tell me, you know, my son is really intelligent. My daughter's a good kid. I believe they are. I believe they're amazing kids and that you're great parents. But it goes back to that brain development or lack thereof and that impulsiveness. And um, becoming your friends, your child's friend on social media is something that when we do parent internet safety presentations, we emphasize. Get familiar with the apps they're using, the platforms they're on, be their friend on that social media. There was a study done a few years ago. Where parents and teens were were surveyed, and they asked the parents how many social media platforms is your teen on. The number one answer was two. They're on two. And, and Ruth, you are shaking your head right now. Yes, you hit the number seven exactly. They asked the teens, and they said how many social media platforms are you on. The average answer is seven. You hit the exact. You know the study that I'm talking about. So as adults, it can be hard to intervene in a problem in a place that we don't know exists. And so when it comes to preventing cyberbullying, one of the things that can make cyberbullying particularly troubling is that lack of adult awareness. It's hard to intervene in a problem in a place where that we don't know exists as adults. So now to flip the question over, and this is something that we as parents, and I'm a dad, Parents, we need to think about this too. What would you recommend to parents to do if their child is the one doing the cyberbullying?
0: I have a couple thoughts about that one. I have actually uh, been brought in in a situation where a 13-year-old inadvertently, again, I don't think it was thinking things through, was very inappropriate on a social media platform, the person he targeted uh, immediately told their parents. Uh, I think this happened on a Friday night. By Sunday afternoon, I was in a conference call with the child, the child's lawyer, um, like it was like the family friend lawyer and me. And I was basically reading him the riot act um, and just breaking down like what did, like what did you do. How would you feel if someone said the things that you said to this classmate, to your mother? Empathy. Yeah. And, and, and really, and break it down like you're not a bad person, but you did a bad thing. Um, and I've done like, similar things with like people who have sexted with people and then they say, hey, oh, I took screenshots. I'm going to use them. Um, it's like, okay, like, you know, let's break this down. Not a bad person. You did an irresponsible thing. Let's 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 work on that. Uh, let's let's do some damage control. Let's not do this again. If somebody is targeting another student in a bullying situation, that's time for the parent to step back and say, What is going on with my child? that they feel the need to do this. Is it Uh, Like a peer pressure thing where they like everyone's doing it or like is my kid's self-esteem so low that they have to tear people down to feel good about themselves. So I would try to look at the bigger picture. I mean, of course, you want to address the situation and be like, okay, like you've shown that you cannot be responsible with your phone. So Maybe you're not gonna have one for a while, or we're gonna give you like the kid phone that can only dial four numbers. So you can only call like, you know, mom, dad, 911, and I don't know, one person. And like there's no texting, there's no video on it. Um, like, you know, you get a phone that's a phone. Um, and maybe like you, until you learn to be responsible, you're just not gonna be doing that right now and look at it as an educational opportunity to teach this person why their behavior is inappropriate, but also just go deeper and and look at what's going on with my kid that they think that they can get away with this or that in any level that it's okay.
1: Finding out the why is so important. It's on all the topics that we speak on, any youth behavioral health issue. It's so important to get to the motivation behind it. Knowing that motivation is going to begin to point you in the direction of a solution. The behavior is a symptom. It's often a symptom of something underlying. And like you said, is it it a self-esteem issue? Is it they feel like they're not being hurt? Like what is it? Are they seeking power and control? What is the situation? And, And because it's not sufficient just to apply consequences or correction, and I'm not saying not to do that. But if you don't address the underlying issue, you're not going to solve the problem. You're, you're, you're treating a symptom. You're putting a Band-Aid on at that point. And I also love what you said about if it comes down to it, give them a flip phone for a while. A phone is a privilege. It is not a right. It is a privilege. And it's so important as a parent that we establish healthy guidelines and boundaries when we give them the technology Once they've had a phone for three or four years, it's so tricky to go back in and do that. And I'm not saying that parents don't go back in and do that. But what's easier is before you even give it to them, lay down those rules of here is how this is to be used. As you said, I will have your logins and passwords, all those different things. And I know some parents that even the rule is I'm not going to have you take your phone to a closed room or parents have it docked in their room overnight, things like that. Set those healthy boundaries and guidelines. It's absolutely crucial.
0: Exactly. And I think a good rule is if the kid box at handing over their phone when you ask for it, they've already lost it.
1: That is uh, that is a red flag right there. Somebody that has nothing to hide will gladly be like, go for it. It's like me now. Years ago, if someone had asked me to take a drug test before I was in recovery, you would have seen like, "Uh, okay, well, that tells you something. Somebody asked me now, it's like, name the time and place. So that hesitation and 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 parents... Your child's nonverbals will tell you as much as their words will. Depending on what research you read, as much as 93% of the message that we send is not in our words. Parents, you know your kids better than anyone. You know what is normal tone of voice, body language, facial expression, level of eye contact. If you're seeing things that are giving you pause, sit down and have a conversation. Find out where that is coming from. So I'm so glad that you mentioned hesitation on handing over the device Something you may want to dig a little bit deeper and see what's going on there.
0: And it could be relatively innocuous. Well,
1: actually. it's true. It could be like, you know, I'm flirting with my girlfriend through text and I don't want you to see that. So it's better that you check and you find out, oh, it's something innocent and I get it, then not check and have it be something concerning.
0: Right. Or like, have a. you sometimes maybe you need to have a conversation with your child about if you're going to be looking at certain things online, learn how to surf incognito.
1: That's hilarious. And, and that's being smart, um, savvy internet consumers is such an, a, another important thing as well. Beyond the fact that we talked about like um, you know certain things having a digital footprint and never going away, and you know if someone uh, a kid sends you know explicit photos of themselves through social media and it ends out everywhere on the internet, beyond the embarrassment factor, there's also the fact that employers will Google people. And it's beyond just the standard background search. They'll say, okay, what do I find about this person online? Do they make healthy, intelligent decisions? And it's sad that an impulsive decision that somebody made at 14, 15, 16 years old could potentially affect their future employment. That's concerning.
0: Absolutely. Well, we've seen situations where because of what people have posted online, they've had their college acceptances rescinded
1: absolutely and there's people that have lost employment because I mean we're seeing stories like this very frequently where people are losing employment or other opportunities you know I've lost count recently how many times someone's gone back and there's this person that becomes an internet celebrity oh everybody loves this person and somebody digs four years back in their tweets and there's a tweet there and it's like that's it it's game over at that point point. and so it's so important to really emphasize that to your kids there's so many layers to that
0: Yeah, I mean, they have – this is a little bit of a burden for them that, unlike us, our high school years were not documented. Uh, Thank goodness. They don't have that. So they have to think that what happens when I'm 22, fresh out of college, and the the top thing, if you Google my name, is going to be a naked selfie or me saying something really racist or homophobic Mm -hmm. or – something like that. Do you want that following you around as the top thing people know about you when they're looking you up?
1: I tell that to kids when I talk to them, whether it's on internet safety or when we're doing our Project Rewind early intervention program or if I'm sharing my substance use and recovery story, I show my mugshot and I explain to them, for a while, when you Google image search my name, some of the top results were my mugshot and that's a terrifying place to be. I remember the first time I found that and I was like what am I what am I going to do? I mean, that's a scary place to be. And so there's so many facets to the permanence of all of this that we need to emphasize. You know, there's so many pieces to this. Um if people want to know more about you and the work you do, or they want to contact you, et cetera, what are the best ways for them to be able to reach out, to locate you? And I know you're a prolific blogger, too, so I want to emphasize that as well.
0: So the easiest way to find me online is probably geeklawfirm.com because that has the listing of all my socials within it.
1: Geeklawfirm.com. I absolutely love that. That's got character to it. We will include that link uh, down in the show notes as well. And before we finish, anything else that you'd like to include? Anything, I mean, you know, a lot of parents listen to this, educators, people that work with youth in all different types of capacities. What do you want to leave them with? Anything else that you'd like to include?
0: You know, when I was in seventh grade, I had a T-shirt. And on the front, it said, think. On the back, it said, act. And the message was, think before you act. So I think the message for young people these days is, think before you post.
1: And I love that. And we've broken down think as an acronym that means, uh, is this thoughtful, helpful, interesting, necessary, and kind? And, and we emphasize to kids, ask yourself those questions, especially the necessary, the kind, the thoughtful, before you post
0: that thing. I use that acronym as well. And it's it's the kind one that, t- that, that trips me up. I'll be like, you know, is it thoughtful? Yes. Is it necessary? I think so. Is it interesting? Duh. Is it kind? Oh.
1: I got through the first four letters and I'm getting caught on the on the K there at the end of the word. Yep. Ruth, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you for being here on Win This Year.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: And as always on Win This Year, we want to give you three resources. If you are struggling with thoughts of suicide or you are helping someone who is, there is help, there is hope, there are resources available. Number one is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can reach them by calling 1-800-273-8255. That spells out 1-800-273-TALK. Teen Lifeline can be reached at 1-800-248-8336. That spells out 1-800-248-TEEN, T-E-E-N. And the crisis text line can be reached by texting the word LISTEN to 741741. If you are going through a difficult experience, I want to encourage you. There is hope. Things can get better, but it is important to reach out and to ask for help. And for those of you who are noticing someone who is struggling, it is important that we reach out and we help them that we start the conversation and we let them know we care and we will help. Once again, we would like to thank Ruth Carter for sharing time, information, insight, and experience with us. The methods of contacting Ruth that were mentioned during the show will be included in the show notes, along with all the Not My Kids social media information as well. If you have a question, a comment, a concern, or a future guest or topic you would like to suggest, please email us at winthisyear@notmykid.org. That is winthisyear@notmykid.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy Win This Year, please be sure to like, follow, subscribe, and spread the word. Win This Year can be found most places where podcasts are available. Once again, I'm Shane Watson, public information officer and prevention specialist for Not My Kid. Thank you for listening to Win This Year.